This episode is sponsored by Texas real estate agent Matt Cruz. Are you ready to buy, sell, invest, or build? Well, contact Matt and he will answer all of your home buying and building questions. Or if you're looking for property in the Rio Grande Valley, there's lots available starting as low as $36,000 right off Expressway 281. Look no further and contact Matt. Also, the market is hot right now and it's a lot easier to qualify than you think. You can find Matt on Instagram at Matt Cruz Realtor. Thank you so much for being a sponsor of the Mujeres in the Know podcast. Muchas gracias, Matt. Hola, hello. Thank you for tuning in to Mujeres in the Know. Hey, everyone. It's your host, Natalie, here, and I'm so excited to bring you guys a new episode. This is episode three of season three. Today, we will have the Honorable Judge Renee Rodriguez Betancourt as our special guest. So in the process of producing this episode, I have learned so much about Judge Renee, and I am so intrigued by her story. She is a judge for the 449th District Court in Hidalgo County and was named the youngest district court judge in the state of Texas when she was elected. Not only that, she was the first elected female judge in her court. So she's truly an amazing mujer and such an inspiration. I'm truly honored to have her as a guest on the podcast. Thank you so much for saying yes to be a guest, Judge Renee. And let's get started and let's get to know Judge Renee a bit better. So the first question I have for you is, can you tell us a little about your upbringing? Where were you born and raised and how would you describe your childhood? I was born and raised in Edinburgh, Texas. Um, I still live here in Edinburgh, Texas. I returned back here when uh, after I graduated from law school. My parents were born here. They're, they were born and raised in the United States and in Edinburgh as well. We were a family of five. It was my parents and my two brothers and myself. My parents are still migrant workers. Uh, they got married at 15 and 16 years old. They had my brothers at around that same age. And then a little, a few years later, they had me. You know, I was talking to one of my cousins this, this afternoon uh, on my way back from an event. And I was telling her about, you know, I was at a kindergarten graduation drive by and I was telling her, you know, the people that there were very humble people that were coming with their children. And I was telling her how it reminded me of how we were brought up. And one of the things, you know, she said, and one of the things I agreed with, and, and I want to share in regards to this question is, you know, our childhood was a great childhood. We didn't know we were poor. We didn't know we were migrants. We didn't know our parents were uneducated. Our parents did everything possible to give us a stable and structured life. And it didn't mean they had to have millions of dollars or they had to have a college degree or a high paying job. They just gave us a lot of love. They taught us a lot of morals, a lot of values. They were extremely strict. Um, they were, my mom says she was more scared. So the strictness and, and the way she treated us sometimes came from her being scared that we were gonna you know, fail in life or we were gonna embarrass them. Uh, but you know, it was a struggle for my family. It was, we're migrant workers. My parents still migrate to this day. My father went from, you know, the fields and now he owns his own company and, and packages watermelon and gets great contracts, but it was a struggle, but we didn't know it because our family, again, they worked so hard and they just tried to give us the best they could. So I was very fortunate to be brought up in this type of, of environment. Wow, thank you for sharing. And the next question I have for you is, where did you receive your education and how important was it for you to receive an education? So the first educators in my life were, of course, my father and my mother. Um, they taught us the education of life. And for me, sometimes that's much more valid or valuable than even, you know, a degree that we can get at any university. My mom and my dad taught us to always work hard, be respectful, 
you know, treat everyone the same. And always, they always would tell us like, you're not any better than anyone else and no one's better than you. So those were my first two teachers. Of course, I went off uh, to high school. I graduated in 1999 from Edinburgh High School. Uh, there was a double standard in my home because my brothers were actually allowed to leave to college. But when I was coming up ready to go and I was already like had my suitcase pretty much packed, they basically told me, no, you're, you can go, but you're on your own. We can't help you financially. Um, but if you want to go, go away to college, go ahead. So it was kind of their way of saying, no, you're not going to go. But they, did, they didn't want to tell me directly that I, that I really couldn't go. They kind of just put it there. They put it in my plate and knew that it wasn't going to be possible for me to go. So I ended up going to the university in my backyard, which is the University of Texas Pan American, which is now UTRGV. I did my undergrad in two and a half years because, again, my purpose was to, you know, leave the valley and to go get educated and get my law degree. And then I was uh, admitted into the University of Texas School of Law in Austin. I received my JD at UT Law. And then I came back to practice here, back here in Edinburgh and in, in Hidalgo County. But again, you know, education, how do I say this? It, my father and my mother always said education was going to help us, but they didn't make it a priority. Their priority for us was just to be good individuals, to be humble, to be kind, to be respectful, to not embarrass them, to always, you know, have morals and to follow those morals and values. So my parents would have been happy with just us being good individuals, law-abiding citizens, you know, um, having an eight to five job, you know, with or without a degree. They didn't pressure us and they didn't like pound it in us, but they also taught us the other side of what type of job you would have if you didn't have an education, which was, you know, working in the fields, migrating, you know, jobs that were more labor driven than the type of jobs we have now. So it was important to me, but it was important to me because I knew it was going to get me ahead. Did you always know that you wanted to pursue law or how did you find that out? How did that happen? You know, I, I get asked this question all the time. The other day I was sitting down thinking, and of course, you know, the typical answer that I've probably given so many people is like, yes, I knew. Because again, being migrant workers, we saw so many injustices. Uh, you know, my father thought that a handshake meant you know, that you're going to stick to your word and the people he would deal with would undervalue the work that he did. Um, so many times I would hear him and my mother discussing this issue. And and I knew, you know, my mother would say, well, go get a lawyer. Um, and my father said, you know, we can't afford one. Um, it's not really worth the money. We're, you know, we just want the money that they're supposed to pay us. But if I go get a lawyer, you know, it's going to cost us a lot more money. So I knew I wanted to, I knew this was an interest for me because of the injustices I saw. But you know, at the end of the day, I think I just wanted to be somebody that others would see and say, you know what, if she can do it, I can do it. And and so going into law, I was always a talkative one in class. I always disrupted class. I always argued with my parents. Uh, I always questioned things. So for me, the logical thing was, hey, you know, let's go to law school. Not only because we can help with the injustices in this in this world or in our country, but also I'm pretty good at, I think I have the skills to be a good lawyer. Um, and so I, that was always my dream since I was young is, okay, I think I'm, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to become. But to be honest with you, and I know you're from Corpus Christi, I really wanted to be a, a Tejano singer. <laughs> I loved to sing when I was little. I saw Selena one time in the market square in San Antonio. And, and to go back to what I was saying, I saw an individual who looked like me, and I said, hey, if she can do something, like if she can be out there and, and be on top of a stage, 
and singing and showing other girls like if she can do it and there's not many people that look like her at that time then why couldn't i and so it really was kind of you know the mixture of two things wanting to do something that i was passionate about and wanting to do something that i know i could give others that hope that they could be that too yes thank you for sharing that i love selena too so that's <laughs> I, i totally understand that and the next question i have is what's been the biggest obstacle you faced along the way to becoming a lawyer and then later becoming a judge um so i mean my parents taught us to work hard i wasn't always the smartest the grades the studying didn't always come easy to me but i could outwork uh, anyone i could i could stay and study for four or five hours where sometimes it took someone to study for an hour and i always knew that as long as i worked hard you know it, it may not have come easy but it was going to get done i was going to accomplish what i needed to accomplish uh because that's what my parents would instill in us and you know it was it, so i have an older brother and my actual my actually my older brother is a lawyer as well my older brother is nine years older than me when i was growing up he already had gone away to college and then he decided to go to law school later and after college And then he actually became a district judge like I did. And now he's the DA here in our county. And I think one of the biggest issue of, of being a lawyer was trying to get out of the shadow of people saying, well, you're only a lawyer because of him. Or, well, you know, you're you only have it easy because of him or because of who your family was. And for me, I think that was one of the biggest challenges when I became a lawyer. I wanted to stand out on my own. I wanted to show others like, Hey, yes, I need my brother because he's my brother and I love him. Like our family taught us to love each other and to respect each other and, and be brother and sister. But at the end of the day, I'm not him and he's not me. And so I wanted to show people that I was a different lawyer. I wanted to show people that I was going to be a different type of judge. And my brother's an amazing public servant because, again, we were brought up with the same values and morals. But he has his agenda and I have my agenda. And I think we've I've been very successful in showing others that it's separate and apart from anything that he does and that I've I've come out of his shadow. And also I'm a female, so that within itself was also a challenge. Uh, so that was one, I think one of the biggest challenge, but it was also a blessing because I always had a mentor. I always had my brother there to like tell me, you know, hey, and I know this is funny, but he would say, don't act like a girl. I know you're a girl, but don't act like one. You know, we have to be logical. Don't use your emotions. Think, you know, when you're representing a client, you know, make sure you're not using your emotions. And sometimes we would fight about it. And sometimes, you know, he would see it my way and I would see it his way. But I think one of the biggest obstacles I faced uh, in becoming a lawyer was, and even a judge was like people, you know, telling me, well, you just, you know, you're just following behind your brother. And I'm like, no, you know, um, I, this is what I've always wanted to do since I was young. And, but I, I have a different path. I have a different plan. I, I see things differently. And so it took a while, but I think now we've established those differences. What do you enjoy most about what you do? So when I took the bench, uh, when I took the four, when I became the judge of the 449th district court, it was a juvenile court. It, it was designated as a juvenile court. When the opportunity came for me to run for this court, I started doing research. That's what I'm good at, you know, studying, reading. I love to read. And I started to realize how, you know, in the Rio Grande Valley, I feel like we're always trying to catch up. We're always trying to get to where people from San Antonio, Corpus, you know, uh, Houston, we're always trying to catch up. And I noticed that, you know, yes, we had a great juvenile justice system. I'm not going to put that down in any way because that, it, we had one and, and there was a foundation. But I was noticing that in other parts of Texas, there was so much more we could do. So many other resources we could help children with. And, and I think what I enjoyed most about it 
which for me was like a white canvas. I knew that if I got elected and I went into this position, that I would have the opportunity to create different resources or to use my court to collaborate with others in the community to help these children that I, that would come before me. You have to understand a lot of these children, it's not black and white. People think, oh, you know, they, they committed a crime, they need to get punished. No, they're children. And yes, there will be consequences because I have to apply the law and I have to be fair, but there's also, you know, an opportunity for us to ask why, why are they here before me? What's going on? What, what, you know, what has happened in their past from trauma to mental health diagnosis to, you know, lack of educational services, all these play a huge part in the life of a child. And again, you know, uh, my parents weren't rich. My parents had a ninth grade education, but my parents taught us structure and stability. And I think that that is a way for us to make sure to provide that for our children is hard, but it's also something that assures us that our children are going to be able to make the right decisions. But again, a lot of these children don't have that benefit and there's trauma and there's you know circumstances and it affects a child. Uh, and children don't talk about it. Children don't open up because again, they're looked down as children, we're the adults. And so you know what they say sometimes doesn't matter. So when I got on the bench, I said, you know, this is what I wanna do and I've done it. And that's, I think what I enjoy the most about it is trying to find solutions. I can't save everybody. I can't help everybody some of these cases are extremely hard I come home thinking like did I make the right decision but at the end of the day I love what I do and I enjoy it for, for all those reasons awesome thank you so much and the next question I have for you is how did it feel when you found out you were the first elected female judge in your court you know, there's a lot of first, uh, and I'm proud of it. I'm extremely proud of it. I, I stand, you know, very proud. My parents are proud of me. You know, I was the first, uh, I was the youngest district judge when I got, you know, in the state of Texas when I got elected. I was the first female judge in that, in the 449. Um, you know, there was a lot of first, but, you know, unless you told me this, it, it didn't cross my mind. I, I didn't, Ali, when, when you become a public servant, or when you choose to become a public servant, you're choosing to serve others. You're not choosing to get a title. When somebody wants a title so bad, you kind of, you know, take a step back and think, okay, why? What, what's the purpose? You know, you have to find a passion and you have to have a vision for why you want to serve the public. Why do you want to be a public servant? Because these positions aren't ours, you know, they're the people. The people are the ones that put us in and the people are the ones that, that take us out. So, you know, to say like, how did I feel? I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't realize it until somebody told me, "Hey, you're the first. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, well, cool. But hey, I gotta get to work. You know, I. I want to keep my bench. I want to help others. But am I flattered? Oh yes. Am I honored? Extremely. But you know, it, it's it's nice to say that. But it's not. It's not why I do what I do. It's because. I do what I do because it's to serve the people. And the day that I don't want to serve the people or the day that I feel like I just can't do it anymore is the day that I will step off that bench. It's not a part of me. Like, it's, it's not like, oh, I have to have this title to be who I am. No, you know, but it's a title and it helps to influence and it helps to influence for the good and not for just to have power or to have, you know, distinction. Definitely. I love that. Thank you so much. Uh, the next question I have is, I know you are extremely family oriented. You are a wife and a mother of three. How do you manage to maintain balance between work and family life? 
you know, sometimes I, I sit back as all my children are trying to talk to me at one time. I, you know, I just finished uh, Zoom 12 to 16 cases. Of course, the majority of them are hard because they're children that are, you know, dealing with so much and they're in detention. Um, and I think, you know, I, I think, wow, I never imagined, I never, growing up, I never knew how this was going to be my life. You know, you, we were just happy. We were just, you know, humble people. But I always had a plan. I always had a vision. Go to school, go to college, go to law school, get married, have children, have your job right uh, and i followed it i followed it to the t where most women a lot of women now even now in this gen this coming generation you know put their career before their children and i just couldn't do that you know my mother never did that my mother stayed home she was a housewife so i had the best of both worlds i was able to see and be raised by a woman who just was not selfish in any way and did everything for us. And I'm able to have a job, be a working mother and still be what my mom was to uh, to, to my children. And so how do I, how do I keep the balance? It takes a village, let mm -hmm. me tell you. It takes a supportive husband who, you know, was not machismo and I told him I wanted to run for judge and he said, let's do it. Um, as other people hug me and, you know, say hi to me and, oh, you're so pretty. And he just stands there and, you know, because he's confident and knows the values and the morals I hold. It takes supportive parents who, you know, my dad, echale ganas, mija, do what, you know, my dad always believed in me. He just has this huge smile all the time. And he gives me that, like, I can do anything type of, you know, uh, motivation. My two brothers who are basically always looking at everything I do wrong and are the first ones to tell me or, when they think that my head's too high, they bring me down or they take the air out of my my balloon. Um, to my friends, you know, friends that you probably don't see on my on my Instagram or you don't see on my social media because they're not in my political circle. They're actually outside of it and they want nothing to do with it, but they provide me the most guidance, the most advice, and they're probably some of the most amazing women I have been blessed to have in my life. Teachers, my children's teachers, my children's educators from Montessori, all the way you know to junior high and my daughter's now going to high school it takes a village I, I, I depended on so many people to help. And, you know, as a mother, you want your children to listen to you. You want them to do exactly what you say, but you're going to see they're not. And if there's somebody else that I trust that can give my child that message and my child gets it and runs with it, I'm grateful for that. I'm not, oh no, that's my child. Don't tell her. No, I want my girls to have strong women in their lives. And so I try to surround them with those women, those women who aren't petty, jealous you know or just you know interested women that are just real and women who are stay-at-home moms to women who are you know politicians they're surrounded by by those types of individuals as much as i can and then of course my mother and, and my sister-in-laws and my family so it takes a village and that's how i balance it but it's hard it's it's hard and sometimes you know it's i want to say i'm done with one thing but but never with my children i will always put them first they're everything to me. The, the last question I have for you is if you could give advice to a young girl or a woman who has a desire to pursue law or, or even become a judge someday and be as successful as you, what would you tell her? You know, again, very simple. Just always respect others. Always respect yourself. Always do things never expecting anything in return. Always do things for others never expecting anything in return. 
always do it for the purpose of serving and not for the purpose of being praised. If it's law that you want to do, make sure this is, make sure as to why you're doing it. And at the end of the day, you know, like my dad says, échale ganas, whatever you do, whatever career, if it's law, if it's becoming a judge, anything a woman wants to do, you always work hard. Because I know women can work a lot harder than most people and we can multitask and you know, we can do a lot um, because we're mothers, we're daughters, we're sisters, we're uh, wives. And so we hold many roles. And so every time I, I give advice to young girls or someone who says, hey, I, I want to be a lawyer, I always tell them, look, just work your butt off. Echale ganas and you can do whatever you set your mind to. It's not going to be easy, but you can do it. Never, never. And I'm gonna, again, I'm going to quote Selena. Always know that the impossible is possible. And I'm somebody who I think has proven it to others. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Judge Renee. And I, well, I was just wondering if there's anything else you would like to add? No, just thank you so much. Well, first, I want to say thank you. You know, um, being able to to take the time, you know, your, your mother and, and to really showcase different women from our community. I mean, that is empowerment. Um, and I'm sure you've seen through all the podcasts that we're all just so very different. We all have a lot of us have the same story, but a lot of us are still, but we're very different in different ways. And so I thank you for doing that, for empowering others and for showing, you know, others that there's so many different types of women. And, you know, when you say successful, every, that definition is your own definition. It's don't let, don't allow society to make that definition for you to define success. You make your own success. Thank you so much, Judge Renee, for sharing everything you did with the listeners. You heard it from her. You can make your own success, but it does take hard work. Echele ganas. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Mujeres in the Know podcast. I still can't believe that I had Judge Renee on the podcast. <laughs> so inspirational. Stay tuned to find out who the guest will be next week. And until then, please stay safe out there. Cuidado, por favor. It's Natalie here, your host, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye and adios.